Hey everyone, my online course on the rehabilitation of the fitness athlete with Dan Pope is on sale this week. If you want to work with higher level fitness athletes and help people get back into the gym after an injury, this is the course for you. Head to MikeRandall.com slash fitathlete to learn more and sign up this week. On this episode of the Ask Mike Reynolds Show, we talk about loss of flexion range of motion after ACL reconstruction. The Ask Mike Reynolds Show. Helping people feel better, move better, and perform better. Before we get to the podcast, I wanted to make sure you knew about my free online course on the introduction to performance therapy and training. If you want to learn how to get started optimizing and enhancing performance, this is the course for you. Head to MikeReynolds.com slash performance to sign up today. Welcome back, everybody, to the latest episode of the Ask Mike Reynolds Show. I am with the crew of Champion PT and Performance, uh, joining you for a, another week of podcast question answering isms <laughs> how's that <laughs> we're good we're good with isms <laughs> we really powerful we intro <laughs> we should work on st- standardizing these intros <laughs> Dan, do you need a booster seat should we send you a booster seat <laughs> <laughs> uh that's pretty funny um so we are here today we we do not have a student today because we're in this weird like one week gap in between students where we don't we don't have um we only have one student and he's taking the boards today um which is which is interesting but you know i feel like we should really focus this week's episode then on how current students really don't work a lot anymore right they take a lot of days off right i mean we some some people are leaving early so they can drive home stuff like that right like i don't know len what's the trend in pt students you know working full 40 hour weeks nowadays uh it does not do well with their work life balance to be able to work <laughs> a 40 hour uh, work week now the, we've had good students we uh actually our last student i had a document he had a document every hour he was in the clinic really? so either he was he was lying or he was pumping out 45 to 50 hours a week. That's um, awesome. Yeah. That's, I guess that's, when he gets there to sit around for coffee for a half hour counts. And, <laughs> yeah. We have coffee? <laughs> <laughs> do we do that? All right. That's awesome. But, um, anyway, I'm here. Dave Tilly, Lenny McCrina, Mike Scaduto, uh, Dan Pope, Dewesh Podell, and Lisa Russell, all here answering your questions for another week. I am just going to read the questions and because we don't have a student. So it was going back to like early COVID days, right? When we didn't, we were trying to shift this podcast to Zoom, but we're back now. But let's see here. We have Max from California. And Max asks, um, hi, I'm a long time listener, first time asker. I like that. That's funny. Um, we've seen an increase in ACL reconstructions in high school age athletes. I have two right now that are quad tendon repairs. Both are volleyball players. They're between eight and 12 weeks out, but seem to be getting stuck with knee flexion range of motion flexion. Interesting. Okay. We'll talk about that. Uh, I was wondering if you have any advice or thoughts on progressing knee range of motion um, that seems to have plateaued. And what are your thoughts on manipulation under anesthesia on this? Mm-hmm. So let's see. All right. So to summarize quickly for Max here, 
a lot more ACLs in his clinic, um, happens to have some quad tendons now. So maybe one of his local physicians is starting to use quad tendon repairs a little bit more or reconstructions a little bit more, um, which is fine. Um, maybe Lenny can chat briefly on if he thinks the quad tendon has anything to do with that. Um, but really I think what the big issue is here is we're getting, you know, eight to 12 weeks out and we seem to be getting stuck in knee flexion range of motion. So I don't know, Len, why don't, why don't we start with that? Do you, you think this has anything to do with the fact that it's a quad tendon? Do you do yeah. you find that you have a harder time getting knee flexion with quad tendon repairs? No, no, definitely no. So I'm confused. Maybe so that's when you know maybe it's a surgical technique thing. Maybe it was tightening of the graft. Um, that would be more probably more extension. Um, but uh, no, I, I haven't had. Right? You could lose flexion. I guess it could. Yeah, yeah, you could. I mean, if the tunnel placement or the graft tensioning is a little off, yeah, I mean, that could yeah. be. What I've seen, what I've seen is loss of extension because the quad tendon graft gets too big. It's a, it's a huge graft. So it takes up a, that small, that uh, notch space in the knee. And I've, he, I've seen docs have to go in and do a notch plasty to free up that graft that's pinching. But that was because they were losing extension and there was no Cyclops lesion present. So maybe it is affecting their flexion. Maybe doctors don't seem to like to do notch plasties, but me growing up as a PT um, in Birmingham, they did notch plasties on everybody <sighs> and thought it was beneficial to take up that. So you mean talking to notch plasty, you're talking about taking out the bone that's on the uh, intercondylar notch of the femur to create more space for the graft to go in um, at that angle. And so doctors don't really do that, at least up here in Boston. So I've seen a couple instances where you have this big, Volume, volumous is that the word uh, quad tendon which is a huge graft compared to a hamstring or a patella tendon and it takes up too much space and now you start getting a little pinching of that graft and you start losing motion Interesting. so that could be that um so maybe if uh, they do do a scope then they may find that's what's going on in there but um to get the flexion back i mean it's just going to be repetitive bouts of flexion so soft tissue to the quad soft tissue to the hamstrings uh passive motion uh, I put a video out on YouTube about, you know, trying to work on prone quad flexibility with putting your hand kind of in the back of their knee and giving a little anterior tibial force to create, basically putting the tibia in a different position and be able to get a prone flexion stretch that way in their quads. But without knowing the exact numbers, if they have 120 degrees, I wouldn't be worried. If they have 90 degrees of flexion, yeah, then I'd be worried. And you stop talking about maybe, a, a, I wouldn't say a minute, but maybe like a debridement. Yeah. And that's part of what, what Max asked in his question here too, right. a little bit. So, so, so let's, let's, let's really, let's harp on the quad tendon then just real quick for a second. So is there anything just with the quad tendon, obviously being, you know, part of the, you know, the, the extensor mechanism, is yeah. there anything that could become, we talked a lot about the graft within the notch. What about from the donor site from the quad right. tendon? Yeah, no, Anybody yeah. have any experience with that? Uh, again, I haven't seen anything. I guess it could because it will, it is an extensor and it will limit flexion if it gets scarred down. But I haven't seen me right. personally in my cases that that's been an issue because I work on scar tissue mobility. I'm working on soft tissue mobility. I'm working on patella mobility and I'm aggressive with my relatively aggressive with my motion early on. So I don't want it to be an issue, you know, down the road. I'm, I'm, I'm I know where, where the path could go and I, I avoid it. 
Right. That makes sense. So I, I would say from our experience then, Max, and I mean, anyone can jump in on this. We'll, we'll kind of shift gears on the question here, but I, I'm not necessarily sure that the quad tendon has anything to do with it, but there's a chance it's a thicker tendon, right? There's a chance maybe if you're starting to find that maybe there's a pattern, right? Maybe it's like one physician that is having some of these loss of range of motion issues. That's a pattern, right? That could be it. Is it uh, only with your quad tendon grafts with that physician? That's a pattern, right? And you kind of start like looking into this. These might be some good conversations to have with with the physician um, in a non-confrontational way, right? <laughs> like, you don't, you don't want to say like, hey, all your patients stink, right? Like, no, but just be like, like, hey, you know, like, you know, where, you know, we seem to be struggling with knee flexion range of motion. Is there anything, you know, technique wise that we need to know of? Maybe you need to make an adjustment with these people that you want to go a little bit faster with knee flexion range of motion for them, right? Because, because you know that they're prone to get tight with this physician, with this procedure, for example. But um, so, so interesting. So I think we'll start off by first just like kind of nailing that saying, I don't know if there's necessarily something that is inherently prone to, to losing that range of motion. So, you know, after we've gotten that off the plate now, let's help Max out a little bit. So anybody else want to jump in now? How would you, what do you recommend? What do you recommend Max do now, right? He's got people that are two, three months out that are losing motion. What do you recommend Max do now? And then Lenny kind of alluded to it, but how do we minimize this from happening in the future? Dave? Yeah, I was going to say a mistake I made as a younger clinician was kind of thinking that whatever happened, you know, two times a week for 30 minutes was going to counterbalance the other you know, 40 to 50 hours they're awake trying to work on their knee motion when they're at home. So uh, I think I've learned this a lot from you guys is, is my, you know, past self, I would go a little bit more aggressive in the clinic, think we got to get motion, we got to get motion. And then they wouldn't really be extensive enough at their home program. And so I think sometimes backing off on how hard you're going in the clinic and then just consistently <laughs> applying a lot of motion throughout the day is way better. So we'll tell people like 10 knee bends an hour, right? For every every hour that you can, you can possibly do it if you're like sitting at school, if you're sitting at home, if you're just like you're just propped up watching TV. I think that's probably gonna be a better outcome. And I think the research on stretching and, and what range of motion changes have uh, you know, for the knee or any joint in general are probably gonna be more comfortable and tolerable for that person than blasting on their knee and trying to really bend it like crazy in the clinic. They leave with an angry knee and then now they don't want to do motion at home or the next day because they're sore. So that's just my two cents. Yeah, that's a good point. I like that. Uh, yeah. Mike, how about you? Yeah, I would say from an in the clinic perspective, I definitely at eight to 12 weeks out, I'd, I'd definitely still be looking at swelling and really working on uh, swelling management. If the knee is swollen, uh, it's just going to get a little bit stiffer. And then definitely looking at patellar mobility still, if they you know have a lack in the superior inferior glide of the patellar, that could affect their, their flexion range of motion. So those are two basic things I'd make sure that we're definitely uh, nailing. And then like Lenny said, and I think Dave said as well, just consistent bouts of, you know, seated range of motion off the edge of the table, uh, passive range. Um, and just doing that for, you know, a pretty long duration in the clinic, uh, not a long duration stretch, but doing a lot of repetitions of, of flexion range of motion in the clinic um, would kind of be my strategy. Make sure we're nailing all those, those basic things early on. Right. Good, good pivot, right? Like you maybe like you realize like, look, it's 12 weeks out. There's lots that you need to do with this person, but maybe their primary thing that they need your hands for is, is to get that range of motion back. So maybe focus a little bit more time on that. You know, it's interesting. You mentioned patellar mobilizations, which I thought was, was pretty good too. I mean, with the quad tendon repair, maybe, you know, maybe using the quad tendon, you, you, you didn't focus quite enough on patellar mobility. That might be part of it. So yeah, I like that. Uh, Dan Pope, what do you think? Sure. I just, I'm um, going to add to what Mike said. I think swelling can be really big. If you have a lot of swelling, I think that's big for decreasing flexion range of motion, especially 
Um, for a lot of folks, you're battling a lot of swelling further along in the rehab process. And I think a big reason why people have a lot of swelling is maybe too much exercise or maybe the individual is doing too much walking on their own or they're doing too much activity on one given day. So I find myself doing a lot of counseling for folks to try to break up their activity across the week, wearing a pedometer, make sure they're not doing too much walking on any um, specific day. And if I have to look at some of my exercises because they're creating too much swelling, I might pull back on those to make sure we get in the range of motion and progress well over time. I like it. That's good. Um, all right. Well, Dave, you got a little bit more to add? <laughs> one more thing is I think oftentimes we, if the exercise dosage is right, like Dan's saying, sometimes like loaded movements can really reinforce what they have or what they're gaining. So finding exercises that don't hurt, that aren't painful, but like, you know, uh, partial arc box squats or, you know, eccentric lowers. I think sometimes the actual eccentric loading is uh, actually really important to remodel some of that tissue and make it stick comfortably. I like that. What's up, Mike? I don't, I, oh, go ahead, Mike. Yeah, well, I just kind of had a, a question. I know we've we've covered this topic a long time ago, but um, someone asked about doing joint mobs on the on the knee post ACL surgery. Um, you think this would be a case where we would do any joint mobs on this person? Mm, I mean, femoral so, or not patellofemoral? I get. I guess I'd throw it out to the group too as a secondary part of that. Do we think that the joint is what's limiting his range of motion? I guess right. you'd really have to pay attention to end feel and, and all that quanti uh, quantity and quality of motion. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I've personally never done joint mobs on a post-op ACL other than patella. And, um, you know, I mean, I, we always get our range of motion back. So, um, I don't know. Is anybody, anybody, yeah, think that's, I agree. That's needed? I, I see, I see a lot of people doing like internal or internal rotation glides and actually trying to get the screw home mechanism for extension and all that. But, I, I haven't done it and I'm, I never really have an issue, but I don't know how much it's doing. And I don't know if it is a joint mobi mobility thing. It could be at eight, 12 weeks out, the joint capsule starting to get a little tight. I wouldn't, you know, could be, but I still think the low hanging fruit is all the other stuff. I'd also be curious if this person, which we don't know in the details beside, we don't even know how tight they are, if they're truly tight, but did they have a, men a meniscal repair where the doctor limited them to 90 degrees of flexion for four or six weeks, like which seems to be the, the trend um, that's going to really put somebody right. behind too. Cause you go 90 degrees, they get that at like 10 days post-op at the most. And now you're sitting there waiting for time to go by to be able to get the rest of that motion back and they do get stiff. So I wonder if there's a protocol issue as well um, besides a surgical or any other kind of issue that's lending to these people that are getting tight, you know? Right. That makes sense too. Again, another thing about, <clears throat> is there a pattern developing here and people right, that are right. being limited with their range of motion? Yeah. So, all right. Last part of Max's question though, is, is what are our thoughts on a manipulation for this person? Um, I don't know who's dealt with that. Anybody want to jump in on that? Uh, I would say maybe a scope. If, if you hit a, if you're still at 12 weeks and they're struggling, I mean, if they're young people, they should get their motion back over time. Uh, but maybe a scope if they have, obvious like a bad end feel and they're still struggling and you're not making any gains and maybe a scope to go in there and and debride it out um and see if there's a notch impingement by the graft or something like that and they have to do a notchplasty but that would be a surgical decision so i mean not against it i've seen it i've had you know some people in my career have to do that but it's definitely few and far between yeah would you rather scope to clean out a little bit or would you try just a, a manipulation with a you know a 8 10 12 week ACL yeah. reconstruction. Yeah, I, I think from what I've seen, it's typically a scope. I think it's going to be doctor preference. Yeah, I, f I feel like most physicians would probably rather scope that, you know, versus mm -hmm. like, you know, a total knee replacement at 12 weeks or something. Right. I feel like exactly. the, the yeah. physician's probably a little bit more comfortable with being aggressive with that total knee replacement at right. that point. Yes. Um, 
Awesome. All right. So Max, I think like, you know, in summary, I think look for some patterns here. You might have some patterns and these, these may be bigger things than us, right? This may have to do a little bit with the physician preferences and techniques and protocols and stuff like that. So obviously keep that in mind, but on your end, obviously take some of the tips that everybody kind of gave you in terms of like how to, how to make sure that we're restoring motion early make sure we're doing enough with these, these patients, both at home and in the clinic, you know, and hopefully I think now in the future, which I think this is a good, maybe learning experience for you in the future you're like all right these patients are prone to lose knee flexion what can i do to be a little bit more proactive to prevent that um i think these are the things that we've all been through right and have changed the way we we practice because we don't want this to happen and we've seen it happen so it changes you so uh so great stuff max i appreciate it if you have a question like that head to micronal.com click on that podcast link and be sure to head to itunes and spotify and rate and review and subscribe to our podcast so we can see you on the next episode thank you so much thanks so much for listening to the podcast if you have a question you'd like us to answer head to micronal.com slash podcast and fill out the form to submit your question If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe, rate, and review us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcast. And please share this with your friends to help spread the word. It would really mean so much to us. Please check out all my online courses, articles, newsletter, and more at MikeReynolds.com. There's always a ton of great perks for my newsletter subscribers. And be sure to check for my other podcast, the Sports Physical Therapy Podcast, where I go deep into topics and interview leaders within our field. See you on the next episode.